Welcome to the Data for Betterment podcast, Reimagine Hybrid Work, with your host, Maribel Lopez. Maribel is the founder of the Data for Betterment Foundation and Lopez Research. The Data for Betterment Foundation is a nonprofit organization that helps individuals understand and prepare for how their career will change as companies embrace new technologies. Lopez Research, a market research and strategy consulting firm, helps companies understand how technologies such as connected devices, collaboration, cloud computing, and AI change the customer and employee experience. The firm's clients range from startups to global corporations, including 10 of the Fortune 30. She's also the author of the highly regarded business book on how those technologies are transforming the company, employee, and customer experience, Right Time Experiences, published by Wiley. She's also a frequent public speaker at corporate events and contributor at Forbes.com. Maribel is currently researching and writing her next book on how to build successful strategies for workplace transformation. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Maribel Lopez, and I'm so thrilled today to be here with Paul Shala, who is the CEO of Delos. Delos has been described as the first wellness real estate company, and Paul is also a founder of the International Wellbeing Institute and the Well Building Standard, the wellness equivalent of the LEED standard. So super excited to have you here today, Paul. I thought maybe we could just kick off by you telling me for a little bit of context, you know, what your company does. I think we know what CEOs do, but what does Delos do? Mirabel, great to be with you today. We have been merging the health sciences with the building sciences for over eight years, looking at evidence-based ways to improve the indoor environment as it pertains to human health. Delos operates the world's largest certification body for healthy buildings called the International Well-Building Institute, which is now in over 80 countries, encompassing almost 2 billion square feet of commercial real estate, either well-certified or well-rated, uh, or registered to be so, all according to the principles of our well-building standard. I think if we went back a year, year and a half ago, people may or may not have found that concept interesting, but I think now it's extremely relevant to every organization I speak with. But maybe we could delve a little bit more into what do you mean by a well-building standard? Well, first and foremost, we spend over 90% of our lives indoors, our homes, offices, schools, hotels, what have you. Uh, And when you consider the elements that surround us indoors, they have a huge impact on our health outcomes. So consider air quality, water quality, lighting, thermal, acoustics, biophilic elements, surface and cleaning protocols, HR policies. Those can all be mapped to our respiratory, cardiovascular, immune cognitive, digestive, and sleep health outcomes. And in fact, when you think of chronic health outcomes in general, Mirabel, only 5% of our health outcomes are genetic. Can't do anything about that, at least not yet. Another 20 to 25% of those outcomes are determined by lifestyle and care. And uh, basically the rest, up to 70% of all chronic health outcomes are determined by our surrounding environmental and social conditions, basically where we place ourselves. So if we are going to be spending most of our lives inside of a box called four walls and a roof, in fact, over 90% of it, our homes are 
campuses, our schools, what have you, we need to pay direct attention to what those four walls and a roof are doing to our uh, ultimate health outcomes. And that's what the well-building standard is all about. I think that's fascinating because there's obviously a lot of research that went into that concept of, you know, you, you threw out some really interesting stats. And from the perspective of an organization thinking about this, where do they start? I guess we could start with building owners. Like what do building owners need to think about? Yeah, the well-building standard is a mix of both operational and managerial protocols, as well as structural or more architectural elements. But, uh, you know, it's interesting because this is not your traditional real estate program. This is an enterprise program. We've got almost 100 of the Fortune 500, for instance, with well-certified headquarters and in some cases well-certified or well-rated entire global portfolios. So, yes, this is an HR thing. This is certainly a corporate wellness thing. This is a also a facilities platform. And, and we found folks that are running uh, facilities and also folks that are running the people side of companies have come together here as they've seen the intersection of, again, our buildings and our people uh, inside them looking to drive productivity, attraction, retention, reduce healthcare costs all through the built environment. Makes total sense. One of the things that we've been thinking about is, you know, we talked to a lot of companies and after COVID and thinking about post-pandemic world, there's been a lot of discussion about what an office should be and some of the perspectives on what an office should be. And I know that we spent a lot of time thinking about sanitization as one example, but what other things in the post-COVID world are you talking to companies about? perspectives on what an office should be and creating safe return to office environments. Yeah, I think what, you know, early on in the pandemic, the pendulum swung way too far, we believe, on this deep cleaning, sanitization, even hygiene theater, if you will. You know, when you have a elevated pathogen concern like the one we have seen and continue to look to reduce uh, across the world, you need to consider three things. You've got an airborne viral load to consider, a surface-borne viral load to consider and a behavior or behavioral born viral load. I think we've gotten pretty good at adjusting behavior, certainly with things like mask wearing and, and hand washing and distancing. And that has been something that we've had to all adjust to. And hopefully that will come and go, go just as other you know pandemics come and go. It's uh, what have you. That's, that's, that's just reality. The surfaces we have seen a lot of work on, Again, cleaning uh, surfaces, generally soap and water does the trick. Coronavirus, any envelope virus is not difficult to kill. So I think there's been a little bit of too much um, attention paid to that, that side of the fence for, versus a lack of initial attention paid to the air. That's really the, um, what we feel to be the most important and significant consideration with regards to aerosolized particle transmission indoors and particularly focusing on the right type of filtration and effective filtration that can actually do something about that. Unfortunately, we've seen um, a lack of clarity and candidly, a lot of confusion with regards to what filtration means or what an effective filter could, could be. Delos, we've been researching ultrafine particle filtration for the better part of five years. We understand the size of a pathogen concern such as SARS-CoV-2. And in fact, the 0.08 to 0.14 micron size for some of the smaller sizes of this pathogen. And with that said, when folks throw out terms like HEPA 
and MERV, unfortunately, you're only going to see a rating there at about 0.3 microns. And there's a significant drop-off as you get into ultrafine particles. So I do think the next chapter of this is evidence and science behind clear solutions that can filter ultrafine particles, which happen to be, by the way, incredibly affordable and effective and scalable. In fact, Delos has become the nation's top solution provider for public school classrooms. We've put almost 200,000 standalone air filtration units into public school classrooms around the country, places like New York City, DOE, Chicago, Boston, Baltimore, Miami-Dade. And we're seeing this trend now into office where folks want to see something visible. They want to know that you're getting effectiveness down to, uh, for instance, a a micron size of 0.007, which is uh, what these types of devices can do. You're talking about a couple hundred dollar device plugs into a wall and get you 99.97% efficiency down to that ultrafine particle level. Candidly, that's about 40 times more efficient than a HEPA filter. So we think that the baseline here for offices going forward will obviously entail more cleaning and certain protocols, but a constant needs to be addressed, which is upgrading uh, filtration for the air. Okay, I think upgrading filtration for the air sort of sounds like it makes perfect sense, but I also think it sounds a bit intimidating. So you mentioned that you just retrofitted quite a few schools. So when people think about this, how do do they think about this process? Yeah, they're candidly thinking about it. We think the wrong way. This does not require heavy renovation or getting into HVAC and ducts, which by the way, ultimately do not get you much as much efficiency as as the solution. What we're talking about here is portable, standalone, or wall-mounted units, okay? Something the size of a small fan that can plug into the wall. There is no labor required here. There's no renovation required here. The coverage areas for units like this are anywhere between 600 square feet and 3,500 square feet. This is plug and play. These are units that last at least 10 years with a one-year filter change and candidly are addressing the problem as close to where the problem is occurring. You want to get next to people to as close to the acute problem where respiratory droplets are occurring. And that's why we do believe floor-placed and standalone solutions, again, not in the ducts, not in the HVAC, are a very effective way to address indoor viral load in the air. And uh, that's what we're seeing a lot of folks take up. And yes, you're right. I think on the surface, people feel, well, how is a $200 trillion asset class going to start over with HVAC that can get you, you know, the right type of filtration that's candidly not needed? Again, there's ways to address this to supplement and complement existing HVAC, which in fact can get you up to a MERV 17 or 18 efficiency with zero pressure drop. So this is a scalable approach and we're seeing a lot of folks take that up. I honestly have no idea that it was something that you could just sort of retrofit that easily. When I Certainly when I think of it, I think of like, oh gosh, we have to change our air filtration system. That's a heavy lift. And that's why I got into the building owners themselves needing to do it. But it sounds like it's something that could be done by the building owner in general or by a specific tenant. So that's actually really kind of an interesting concept to ponder. Okay, so that's a little bit about what's going on with with air quality. And I know that you've actually done some other interesting things. We were talking about the well-building standard and, and the like. And I know you have a collaboration with Mayo. Can you tell me a little bit about what happens there? Yeah, so Davos and Mayo Clinic, a founding collaboration and what we call the Well Living Lab. That is a real research facility up in Rochester, Minnesota, adjacent to Mayo's campus. 
that we operate, and this has been operationalized for almost five years. It's the first and only facility of its kind in the world where we simulate indoor environments. It's got, a, I believe, eight different testing modules, so we can simulate a bedroom, a school classroom, a living room, a hotel room, an office environment. And the lab is built with all types of sensory technology uh, you know, built into to quantify all of the elements uh, indoors that matter to human health. So sensor technology uh, and allowing us to collect data on air quality, water quality, lighting, thermal, acoustics, what have you. And what we've been doing for years is looking to understand effective health interventions on people, looking at the relationship, I would say, between the quantified space and the quantified self, looking to examine over 200 external data metrics that matter to people and mapping those towards our biomarkers, over a thousand internal biomarkers. So for years, we've been running regressions and, uh, and doing analysis on all types of relationships, again, between people and spaces. So consider, for instance, just the broad opportunity to understand things like temperature versus pulse rate or air particulates versus cognition and performance or lighting versus sleeping patterns. The intersection of and the relationship between people and what surrounds them can be measured. And that's what the Well Living Lab has been all about. In fact, this past year, we've put the lab to use in a infectious control study, COVID-19 and beyond, where we have uh, simulated uh, various indoor spaces, conference rooms. In fact, we're just completing a school study. So we literally constructed a classroom that's got breathing simulators and cough simulators and mannequins and some of the top aerosolized particle experts in the world looking to understand effective interventions to drop that risk of indoor viral load in the air using a pre and post approach. In fact, using units uh, like we've talked about um, with regards to standalone units in any type of room that can demonstrate a meaningful reduction of airborne viral load. And again, it's so encouraging, Mirabelle, because as mentioned, you're talking about devices that cost a couple hundred dollars, the size of a small fan with incredible efficiency. And we see a lot of money being spent and candidly wasted out there on things like plastic dividers. That is just, that's nonsense. And even induct solutions that while the HEPA filter or the, even the MERV, MERV rating may apply at the filter level, we believe you're getting at best 50 or 55% efficiency as opposed to 99.97% efficiency with a standalone localized approach. That's actually fascinating because I think we've got a lot of controversy going on in terms of what a smart building looks like going forward, what a healthy, safe building looks like going forward. But I think some of the work that you've been doing in the labs is just fascinating. And I'm thrilled to see that there are people working on this problem because I think it's something that we will fully need to address in all of our organizations across the globe going forward. And it's a shame that we had to have a pandemic to do this, but I also think that it's great that we now have a focus on wellness for the future of hybrid work. So Paul, I wanna thank you for sharing your insight on what's going on in the space. Do you have any closing comments or advice for the audience? Well, Maribel, I think you said it best with regards to yes, unfortunately it took a global pandemic for uh, something very simple to become top of mind. And if anything good can come out of this, this past year, year plus, what have you, is perhaps uh, uh, this renewed attention on a very, again, very simple concept, 
that what surrounds us matters. What we touch matters, what we breathe matters. At times, how we gather indoors matters. The type of lighting that enters our circadian optic nerve determines our energy levels and sleeping patterns. But that fundamental relationship between people and what surrounds them is what this well-building platform has been all about. And it's what Delos and our International Well-Building Institute have been up to for a better part of a decade at this point. And, and hopefully um, good things can come out of, um, out of a horrific year like this. And wish you well and thanks for having, uh, having us on today. Thank you. 